Before we get into the episode, head on over to RighteousFelon.com for all your favorite beef jerky flavors. I'd recommend starting off with the whole shebang craft jerky gift bundle. The jerky is smoky and savory, spicy and sweet. All of your favorites, all in one variety pack. Use promo code OCSN, all lowercase, to get 15% off at checkout. Don't miss this great opportunity. Go to RighteousFelon.com today. You're as cold as ice. You're willing to sacrifice our love. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ice Cold Takes podcast. I am your host, Joey DiMeglio, and in the midst of the Rangers search for a new head coach, I decided it would be a good time to get a special guest on the show this week. Former NHL referee and current ESPN rules analyst Dave Jackson is here today. Thanks so much for joining me, Dave. How are you? I'm good, Joey. Thanks for having me. It's uh, I know we went back and forth for a while, but we finally got it done. So here we go. I'm on, I'm on summer break. Yeah, yep. That's how it is with the uh, with the uh, getting the guests on for the for the podcast. And as for summer break, I guess I I'm on summer break as well because the Rangers aren't in the playoffs. I, I guess you could say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's too bad. They. they uh, I thought they were going to go further, but you know, it's mm-hmm. playoffs are a cruel game. Tough, tough first round matchup. You know, it's uh, going into it. A lot of people said it too. I, I was saying it, you know, it was like, you know, in the Eastern conference, you have, what was it? Four or five, maybe five of the 10 best teams are all like, you know, in the first round. Right. And, you know, three of those teams might go home and turns out the Rangers yeah. were the team that ended up going home. Right. So, you know, just the, I guess the luck of the draw of seven game series, certainly well, entertaining though. The crazy thing is of the eight teams that made it in the East, I thought six of them had a legit chance of winning the cup and neither of them were Jersey or Florida. Right <laughs> now, you know, and Jersey ends up beating the Rangers and look at Florida, they're in the finals. So, I mean, good for them. That's just, I mean, I, I, I don't do those uh, playoff brackets. One, because I'm not a gambler or a B because as a referee, I try and stay neutral anyways. But if I did one of those brackets, I'd be wrong every year because <laughs> I just, you know, you pick certain favorites and look what happens. Just such right. upsets. And it's just hockey so unpredictable. It's I don't think anybody had Florida over Boston in the first round. Like just considering, you? you know, it's not like just that Boston is had like a record setting year. It's, you know, you look at what they added at the deadline. Right. And they they became tougher and, you know, harder to play against. And they were already hard hard to play against already. Uh, and so they add in Hathaway and Orlov, and they go up 3-1. And to see them lose that series is so shocking. And now the Florida's all the way in the finals, which is Right. And you great. see a lot of teams that like win the President's Cup, and they, they work so hard to get that that they, they just kind of they're, – they're done but come playoff time. It didn't strike me as Boston really had to – I mean, I know they worked hard. I'm not taking it away from it. It didn't seem like they were just grinding every night and winning these one-goal games. I mean, they just seemed to, like, go out there, and they were so good. They just put it on autopilot, and they kept kept winning. Mm-hmm. And they get to the playoffs, and wow. I mean, who would have thunk, right? That's Crazy. what makes the playoffs so great is, like, you never know what's going to happen. You truly never know what's going to happen. Like, you think, and you think, oh, Boston's got this. There's no chance Florida's going to win one game in this series. And they come back from 3-1 down. Right. And crazy. You no, know, yeah. you, you go in and you say like, okay, Toronto, Tampa Bay, Toronto's never making out of round one. And look, they, they came back from three goals in Tampa Bay against Vasilevsky. That moment was the moment that, you know, 
that won me over where I'm like, okay, Toronto's got yeah. it, got it yeah. winning round this year at least. I thought they would. I thought if they were going to win one round, they were going to get over the hump, and that was it. But well, evidently got, that was they got not the monkey the off their back now. So we'll see see what happens next year. Yeah, yeah, I'm, that'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, Dubas is out there, but it looks like they're keeping Sheldon Keith around there. Uh, see what happens with uh, you know the rest of their core: Matthews, Marner, Nylander, those guys. Uh, we'll see what happens there. The Western Conference too was uh, was a bit of a toss up. There's a lot of good teams there. We just didn't think it was as uh, competitive, as as high of a com- uh, competition as it was in the East. You know, you have six well, top ten teams, right? I live in I, I live in Denver now, and uh, nobody gave Seattle half a chance. It was going to be a four game sweep, then on to the real playoffs, and uh, look what happened there. So <laughs> once that happened, I, I knew that anything could happen. That was along with Florida winning against Boston, I think that was the most impressive. Th- those were the two most impressive things that I saw sure. accomplish uh, this yeah. playoff year. Um, what, like overall though, like the thoughts on, on the playoffs, like, I mean, it's been entertaining. Uh, I mean, some years the playoffs are always, are always entertaining, but this year it's, you know, all new teams and stuff like that. So how do you feel about all that? Well, I'm really excited that whoever wins the cup this year, it's a first time winner which is always, you know, always cool to see uh, that that's feel good part about the game. But uh, what I like and, and back, you know, you're 20 years ago when, when you're playing in a playoff game, if you got a two goal lead in the third period, you're winning that game. You might, fans might as well just go home because there's no, you're not coming back. You're going to shut the other team down. You're, you're going to hook them, hold them, interfere with them. They're not getting near your net. And now with how, calling of penalties how you know we see penalties called in overtime now we see penalties called in the third period with calling of penalties and the power plays and the way teams are so good on the power play no game is over i mean you talked or talked earlier about three one leads in in games and teams coming back in a third period and winning i mean it's exciting it's incredible and you know teams down two three goals after the second you just turn your tv off and go do something else and now you just stay with it one goal momentum and i just think it's Incredibly exciting. Yeah, I think that goes for even regular season games, too. I've seen a lot of, you know, big leads go away, like, pretty quickly. Like, Edmonton Edmonton this year, they did it in the regular season. They did it in the postseason. Against L.A., you know, they were down, like, 3 nothing in the second period of one of their games. And by the end of the period, it was already tied. And that just goes, yeah. like you said, the, the power plays. And they had the best power play. It was over 30%. When it was, yeah. you know, when it was going, they those guys are lethal. But yeah, I mean, the seeing penalties called in overtime, penalties called it at you know very important times in the game, and the teams capitalizing on them. Yeah, you know, you just can't you can't take a, a second, you can't take it for granted for a second. You know, and, 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 and I think that's good for the game. I mean, people, the real old timers, traditionalists, look back and they say, "Ah, oh, let the players decide." You know, don't 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 impact the game by making a penalty call but when you think about it you're impacting the game by not making that call i mean it used to be a guy would have a scoring chance he'd get tackled and it'd be play on right well you're still making a choice you're just choosing not to decide and you're taking away the skill the skilled player that's what everybody pays the money for they don't want to pay the money to come see some guy tackle a guy they pay a guy to see a score a goal and uh by not calling that it does the game a disservice so i i, I really like the fact that 
you know, yes, you might not see as many penalties called late in a playoff game, but you're still going to see the scoring chances called. You're going to see anything that's anything that's violent or anything that takes away a scoring chance. The, the referee's bosses expect them to call that, and that's the mindset, and it, they should be called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the the stuff the stuff that impacts like the play is outweighs the the stuff that's away from the play. Exactly. Kind of thing. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, and um, I mean the play, the finals this year, the penalties are insane. Did you see in game two? It was like 84 to 44 the penalty minutes. Or I think there's a lot of misconducts in there. There's 10 yeah. minute. Those 10 minute <laughs> misconducts skew the uh, skew the playing field a little bit. But uh, you know, I've I've been asked a lot about those misconducts, and someone said, I mean, I think Kachuk has three so far in the finals, and people were saying on Twitter, well, maybe there should be an automatic suspension if you get so many misconducts and all that. but I'd hate to see that because misconducts are, are a great tool in the toolbox for, for a referee. And, you know, people talk about managing a hockey game and, and it becomes such a, a, a bad word, it seems, because people equate managing a hockey game to affecting the outcome of the game or trying to decide who wins. It, it couldn't be further from the truth in my mind. Managing a hockey game is going out and managing players' emotions. That's what you're paid to do. You've got one team that's frustrated, one team that's maybe um, taking a lot of penalties. You need to manage the personnel on the ice. You need to do what you can do to settle things down, to keep the game fair, uh, to keep the game safe for everybody involved. And sometimes when a player crosses the line, you could assess an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty which would give the other team a power play and possibly another power play goal, increase the frustration. If it's late in the game and stuff, like you don't want to increase frustration, but you've got to address the fact that a player did something. So sometimes a misconduct is a tool to say, I'm not going to hurt the team. I'm just going to hurt the player and get rid of them. And a lot of times it protects the player from himself. If you can see that the team's not coming back, they're not going to, you know, the player's not going to make a difference not being in the ice. But if you leave him on the ice or only two minutes in the box, he might come back and take a suspension. He might do something really stupid. So sometimes a 10-minute misconduct benefits that player. And I'm not talking Kachuk specifically. I'm talking just in general that it's a great tool in the referee's toolbox to have a 10-minute misconduct. And if they had to worry about, well, if I'm going to give this misconduct and it might be his fourth or fifth and he might get suspended, you might not have that um, latitude as a referee to control the hockey game. And you do what you can to control the game in the most fair manner as you can. And, you know, I like being able to assess misconducts. It just settles things down. Right. Right. I, I like that, that idea of, you know, it's the end of the game. You want to, you got to keep them separated because I, I hate that. Like when, when it's the game's out of hand, it's like an eight, one game. And, you know, all of a sudden the guy that's losing comes up to the, like the other team's goalie or whatever, and just yeah. starts chirping him. You know, what what could happen then? Like a big fight, somebody gets hurt, someone misses a couple games. Like, you know, it's a little bit, but, you know, it's still something. And if you have that control, why not get in the way? Or why not, uh, you know, be the arbitrator, the the neutral neutral side of it? And people accuse the referees of making them up. Believe me, if you read the rule book, the letter of the rule, they can assess a misconduct in every scrum. It's, it's that easy. I mean, they don't have to make things up. It's there and they just choose to use it. Right. You know, you, if, let's, let's say you've got a game that, let's say you've got a game that's six to one and you've got uh, two players that are rolling around on the ice and there are no real punches thrown, but, but they earn themselves double minors each for roughing. 
and there's four and a half minutes to go in the game. So you've just given them four minutes. And on the way to the box, one guy's yelling at the other guy, when we get out, when our penalties end, you know, we're going to go. We're going to fight and all that. And you're going, well, they're going to come out with 30 seconds to go in the game if there's a stoppage. And the game is six to one. Do we really want that to happen? So now they're trying to incite one another. You go after inciting. It's 10-minute misconduct in the rule book. And guess what? Right. Problem solved. But you're also protecting those players and themselves because who knows what they might do when they come back out of the box if they're still that mad at each other. Mm-hmm. And it's covered in the rule book. It's called inciting. Or when a guy breaks away from a linesman. I think that's what happened last game. A linesman had him. Things were settled down. He breaks away from the linesman and goes back at the other player. Inciting. 10-minute misconduct. It's right there in the rule book. I think the referees did a good job. You know, there's a, a, a sentence rule book called there's, uh, referees are, per, uh, are given very wide latitude on assessing penalties to control the game and reduce brawling and, and fisticuffs. And I think they did a great job in that manner. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've been a part of many scenarios where, you know, like an argument is, is taking place or people are yelling at each other, whether it be with coaches or players. Like, what's the craziest thing that you've ever been a part of I, either like that you've witnessed or been a ref for well back in the day i'm talking like you know i was in the american league in the 80s 80s and early 90s we used to have players try and boost their penalty minutes they'd come and ask you for a misconduct <laughs> but we had bosses there too we couldn't just give a misconduct to a guy for no reason because the boss would question why'd you do it so he'd tell the guy you know what you got to do something so you know he'd take his stick and slam it against the glass and then he'd raise his arms and he'd yell at you and you'd bang him with 10 and he'd say thank you and off he'd go <laughs> <laughs> what, so he didn't usually, have to play? Or? Well, no, usually the game was over, but if he, he could add 10 more minutes to his stats, then uh, <laughs> you know, it would look better. To, the, the big club the big club might see his penalty minutes and go, oh, we need to bring this guy up. We need a tough guy. I see. Yeah, in the 80s and the 90s, they, they look yeah. I don't really look at penalty minutes as a stat. Like in today's game, that just goes to show you how the game has changed. But that's pretty funny. I, I figured it was just like, I don't know, maybe incentive boost uh, based or something like that. That's one guy not. told me, and I won't, I won't tell you his name, but one guy told me that he had a bonus in his contract for a certain amount of penalty minutes. That was in the American League. Now, I don't know if it's true or not. That's what he told me. So that's the story I'm going with. Yeah, uh, Paul Bissonnette. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Long before his time. <laughs> Long before his time. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's been, there's been plenty of uh, crazy stories there. But what has it been like working at ESPN? I'm sure that's been, uh, been a treat for you alongside of uh, some – Pretty awesome personalities over there. Uh, you know, alongside of uh, two Hall of Famers and then a whole bevy of other guys, um, it's been great. Um, it's funny because when I left the ice in 2018, I, I became a development coach, a supervisor, uh, did some NHL games, but mainly American Hockey League. And I'd go around and supervise, coach, mentor the younger referees that were on NHL contract, but in the minors. And then when COVID hit, um, I was furloughed for almost two years. Um, I started selling mortgages. Uh, didn't you know? Didn't really know if I was going to be back in hockey. And then uh, when everything lifted, uh, they approached me again and said, "Would I be interested in supervising again?" And but then at the same time, I got a call from uh, ESPN. They said, "Hey, this is what we're planning on doing. We do it in all our other sports, and we want to do it in hockey. Would you be interested?" And uh, so I interviewed for the job, and uh, and I got it. And I thought it was going to be really easy because for, you know, my entire career, I would sit on the couch when I wasn't working and I would, I'd complain about how the guys were explaining penalties. And my wife would always say to me, well, you should, you know, bring that up and try and do it one day. You'd be good at it. And I said, well, you know, that'd be great. But I didn't realize like 
I take two minutes explaining the rule to my wife. I've only got 20 seconds on TV and I get the producer in my ear telling me, you know, wrap it up, wrap it up, let's go. So uh, it was a real steep learning curve for me at first. Um, I'm still learning. I think, I, I think I'm getting a lot better, but I would start explaining the stuff and realize that I was sort of leading the, the viewers down this sort of story I was building, but it came crashing down in this crescendo. I didn't have time to finish what I'd been. So I ended up leaving more questions than I gave answers to, and I had to get better at that. Uh, but it's, it's just been, I mean, I get paid to watch hockey. So what better job could there be Nothing than that? better than that, man. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that's great. Other than being on the ice and being in the room with the guys and hanging out, it's the next best thing. And it's just been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you miss, like, I'm sure you miss being on the ice, though, for sure, though, right? I don't miss the stress and pressure of being on the ice. I miss the challenge, but it's a real, it's a fine line, right? I mean, you never, it's not like going to work in an office where you know what, you, you know what's on your desk, you know what needs to be addressed today. You're going out, you're dropping that puck and you have no idea what's happening. You have no control over it. You can react to it. You can try and be proactive sometimes, but if teams are in a bad mood or somebody's out to get someone, you have no control over that. So it's always a challenge. And I, and I miss that, the unknown of what's going to happen today. But I also don't miss the lying awake at night or uh, after you've missed a really bad or made a bad call, you cost the team a game. People think that doesn't affect you. Man, you let you go home, you can't sleep. Mm -hmm. You're staring at the ceiling. You're just you're playing it over and over and over in your head. And it's just it's a miserable feeling. It, it stays with you. I don't miss any of that. But I really miss the Madison Square Garden, for example, skating out on the ice, standing there for the anthem and just the emotion is just. You can never replicate that. That was just such yeah. a great feeling. That, even, though really you're, that. even though you're not there for one side or the other, you still feel the emotion in the building. That's pretty crazy. That just says a lot about how passionate fans are to, to watch their yeah. teams play. Oh, yeah. You're the third team. It's just – it's it's fantastic. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a nice uh, perspective there. And it's I think instant replay kind of helps that, that ease that feeling that you have lying awake at night that you said. Because, you know, you could – if you make a bad call, a lot of them you could overturn, but not all of them. So, we I mean, didn't have it back in my day. Yeah. I, I think, I think in the replay we have now could probably have remedied at least 75% of the egregious errors I made. Oh, okay. Um, you know, I had, uh, you know, playoff games with, with uh, follow-throughs and high sticks that, I, you know, I called double minors on and the team scored and won the game. Um, you know, had major penalties that we weren't 100% sure. Um, so, we, you know, we call it and it turned out there was actually a good hit. Or, or you didn't call it because it didn't look that bad, but the player was injured. So there was no default. Well, you know, it, linesman might come in and say, that didn't look very good. Uh, we should probably call a penalty there because I got a good look at it. So, you know, you'd call it and then you could rescind it now if if it's not a, a valid penalty or or you can give two minutes. Um, yeah, we didn't have any of that when when I was on the ice. And, uh, you know, I could probably I'd look 20 years younger right now if uh, <laughs> if I'd have had that tool. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'm sure it would it was like hard, really difficult for like, you know, delay of games and stuff like that because, you know. You're just going off of what each of you guys all saw. There's no. Well, it's like, still like that. It's still like that with delay a game. Yeah, we can't. That's uh, hard. Yeah, it is hard, and uh, you know maybe that'll change. Maybe maybe uh, maybe not every time it goes out because you don't want to increase. And that's probably the reason they're not doing it. They just don't want more replays. They don't want more stoppages. Um, yeah. But I'm thinking maybe because I don't think we really have any review that we can assess a penalty on. 
there always has to be a penalty assessed and then you can review it and take it down. So I don't think we really need review for delay a game if there's no penalty being called. Mm-hmm. And if it if it's missed, it's missed. Whereas if you do call a puck over to glass, maybe give a coach a challenge. Let him say, hey, you guys are wrong. You're giving us a penalty. And then then they could look at it and maybe take it, take it off the board. That that might be a compromise, but yeah, who knows? I I find it interesting, like the you call a major or a double minor just to do that because you're not sure about it, and then you you get rid of it completely. No penalty. Yeah, although it's, it's although happened a couple times. It has, but it's not as um, it's not as automatic as you would think, yeah. because when you call that major penalty, you're still getting credit or abuse for calling that major penalty. Your bosses are watching the game, especially in playoffs. I mean, only a certain amount of guys move on to each round. And when a boss is sitting there watching you on the ice and it's a good hit, for example, and you end up saying, I'm calling a five-minute major just so I can review it, and then it gets rescinded, Hmm. well, he's saying to himself, well, we got the call right, but there shouldn't have been a penalty in the first place. So you don't want to... Yeah, you don't want to use a default that, oh, I'm just going to go right to a penalty every time so I can rescind it. That's not the mindset that guys use. And I know people think they do, but they don't. And it's no different with offside. People think the linesmen go, anything close, I'm going to wave it off. And if they score, we'll just review it. That couldn't be further from the truth because I talk to these linesmen and they go, I don't want to be the guy that has 15 uh, challenged offsides this season and have them all reversed that I was wrong. Because then it shows I have no no judgment. Mm-hmm. So linesmen are still trying to get the call right every call. And it's, they're just their gut. They react. So I know people think that uh, referees and linesmen use replay as a crutch. But in the most most times they don't. It's a gut, gut reaction. And the call's either there or it isn't. Now, sometimes they miss the major penalty. And they come in and discuss it. And that's when they use the linesmen. And the linesmen say, listen, from where I was, I think it was a major penalty. So even though the guy didn't have his arm in the air, yeah, he missed it. But there's at least one guy in the ice that's telling him, I had a good look at it, and I really do think it was a major. Then they go and, and review it. Gotcha. Yeah, so the judge, it's still heavily weighed on their judgment and what Correct. they see first. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So what about for, for calls like goaltender interference or like distinct kicking motion or offsides, like where it's you know not clear right away, like some – We've seen it in these playoffs. I, I just I just reviewed the I just looked at one of the uh the ones it was uh the stars and the kraken, like the Jamie Ben one where he he makes contact but the goaltender is out of the crease. Like yeah. why is that rule it almost it always feels so inconsistent, the rulings with goaltender interference. I don't know if that's just because I'm a Rangers fan and it always goes against me or whatever, but I mean for no. other or am I like am I in the wrong here? I don't know. No, I mean I'd say yes and no. Uh, I don't think people understand the rule. And I'm not trying to brag here, but I think if you showed me 20 examples right now and I didn't know what the result was, I'd probably get 18 of them right. And I'm only saying that because I know the rule inside out and I do it for a living. I don't actually make the call anymore. That's the situation from in Toronto. But I have to sort of give my opinion on air as what I think. And and I'm, I'm right a lot because I understand the rule. And I think what people should do, the first thing people should do, NHL.com has a video rulebook. And if you go to that video rulebook, NHL.com, there's an eight-minute video on goalie interference. And it's amazing how much uh, information you will glean from watching that video. 
It's about eight minutes long, but it'll be life-changing as far as goal interference goes. Um, what people don't understand, it does seem inconsistent, but it's inconsistent because you don't know the parameters. The first thing you got to look for is, did it happen in the crease? Because the goalie's protected in the crease, in the blue paint. When he's outside the crease, the standard's much different. He becomes almost like a defenseman when he's outside his crease. Now, having said that, if you look at a defenseman standing in, in front of the net, a forward can jostle for position and bump that defenseman. That's not interference. You can't run the defenseman over, then you get you get called for interference. Same thing with the goaltender. If he is out and you're legitimately battling for position, that's game on. That's anybody's ice. It's white ice. Now, you can't run the goaltender over because that's interference. Mm-hmm. And what people don't understand is the crease is three-dimensional. It goes up four feet to the height of the crossbar. So picture it as a, as a window in a building. If you were in a building and you leaned out the window to your top torso hanging outside the window, you wouldn't say that his upper body is still in the building. You'd say it's hanging outside the building, correct? Mm-hmm. Same with the crease. So when he's on his knees, but he's out on his hands or on his belly, and all that part of his body is in the white paint, he's no longer in his crease. So if contact happens to that part of the body, that's not in the crease. And the standard is incidental contact outside the crease is, is a good goal. So when I think the Dallas one, um, Jamie Benn came in and put the brakes on. The goaltender initiated contact with his glove. And that glove broke the plane, the 3D plane. It was outside the crease. And then he stumbled, and then Jimmy Ben jumped in front of him. It didn't make any contact. So basically, how did he get in the crease? Well, in Jamie Ben's case, I don't think he was ever in the crease. Yeah. And and B was it was the contact deliberate or was it incidental? So if I'm if I'm skating in front of the crease and I'm expecting a 90 mile an hour slap shot from my D man, I'm not watching the goaltender. I'm making sure I'm in the white paint, and I'm looking at the shot coming at me because I don't want to get hit in the head. If that goaler decides to put his feet on the red line of the crease, chances are his head and upper body are going to be outside the plane of that crease. If that player makes contact and the referee deems it to be unintentional, now it's different. If you're looking right at him and you go, I'm going to just cross-check him or put my shoulder into him, then it becomes a regular interference penalty. But if you're looking the other way and you're legitimately fighting for position and you might even tick that puck or something, deflection, and you make... Before history is written... It's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Contact with the goaltender? Game on, man. If you want to be fully protected as a goaltender, stay in your crease. And then you go one step further. If that puck's in the crease, it's not soccer. It's a legit battle for the puck. So if you make contact with that goaltender trying to play a loose puck, as long as it's not deliberate, 
Like you're not ignoring the puck and going after the goaltender. If you're legitimately trying to play that puck in the crease, game on. Good goal is also a good goal. I see. All right. So if you're confused about the 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 rulings and stuff, I suppose watching the video rather than re uh, okay, read the text, right? The the what it says in the rules, but the video. Would you say that is more detailed? Tells you more is easier to understand yeah. than I would than... say anybody that's confused about goal interference, if they watch that video on NHL.com, link to video rulebook, if they watch that, I would say it would clear up about 75% of their confusion. And there's still right. gonna there's hey, there's still calls that are made where I shake my head and I'm confused because it's not offside, it's not black and white. It's a it's a human making a human judgment call. And there's always gonna be an outlier, right? But I think for the most part, if you understand the rule, they get a, most of them right. Can can I just can I just ask? Like, I'm very curious to hear your opinion on the 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 Dwight King one from from 2014 in the finals on Lundqvist. Is that a is that a good goal? I don't know if the rule has changed. Uh, I don't remember me it. for not researching it, but like that I don't one, remember it. Okay, all right, yeah, I, you you get pass for today. I, I'm not like. From from that day till till now, I still feel the same way about it. I don't know if the rule has changed. Forgive me for not researching it before this episode, but that one is to me. It's like the guy is in the crease. Lundqvist is in the blue paint, and King invades his, you know, the the crease or whatever, mm -hmm. and it's like right on top of him. So I mean, that one. Well, I tell you, I tell you what. When we're done with this, you send me a clip of it, and I'll uh, I'll DM you and uh, let you know what I think. All right. Yeah, I'm. I'll be looking forward to that and. Um, I mean, another rule, too, that I've, I've found that I couldn't find any consistency on, like in terms of like the rulings or maybe my understanding of it as well. So my understanding of goaltender interference is inconsistent as well. Um, I'll, I will admit that um, uh -huh. but the distinct kicking motion. I've seen a couple times where, you know, this year you'll see a player like turn his skate yeah. and push forward. And it's like that's not. They'll rule it not a kick, but it's like clearly pushing the puck forward. I don't know. Yeah. Is that like, is it intent? Like what you're intending to do with the skate or how does that all work out? So there's been a lot of iterations of how this rule has evolved. I mean, you go back to the sixties and you couldn't kick the puck because remember the old skates with the pointy toe pick Oh yeah, yeah. and the goaltenders had no mask. So they didn't want guys, you know, making football punts in the crease and, hitting the goaltender in the face with their skate. So that I think that was the genesis of why you couldn't do it. Um, but it's gone from most goals that went off a skate back in the 70s, 80s, even 90s were no goal. And we got to the dead puck era and there were no goals being scored. And GM said, you know, let's loosen this up a little bit and let's allow deflections. So in deflections off skates became legal. And then they said, well, what about guys that, you know, like example where you're standing back door and it's a, it's a cross-seam pass, and you go to deflect it in, but the guy lifts your stick from behind. So the guy moves his foot forward, and the puck hits it and goes in. Well, now that's a good goal, too. All he's doing is moving his foot to enable the deflection. So that becomes good as well. Uh, there was one in the Islanders series where um, puck was in the air, and he moved his foot because he couldn't get it with his stick, so he brought his foot up in the air. He was about a foot off the ice, went off his skate and in. And he was definitely moving his foot towards the net. But the puck was in the air. And it was such momentum to it that it, it was a deflection. Mm -hmm. I think the distinct kicking motion. And between, I mean, if they got rid of kicking altogether, just if you can put it in the net, put it in the net. You can kick the puck anywhere on the ice. 
Unlike a hand pass, you can only hand pass in your own end. You can't hand pass anywhere else. You can kick the puck to a teammate anywhere. So let's just let's just let all kicking go in. But that's just my opinion. Um, <laughs> I think the easiest one to determine distant kicking motion is when the puck is still. You know, sometimes it's in the crease. Goalie thinks he has it. People are battling, and it's just sitting there still. And a guy moves it with his foot. That's definitely distinct kicking motion. Everything else is a big gray area, and it goes back to human judgment once again. Whether it's a referee on the ice or whether it goes back to Toronto, there's no robot there with AI going, that is, that isn't. It's still judgment. But I think aside from a puck that's still and it's propelled with the foot, most every other one is a change of direction, change of momentum, and you happen to be moving your foot in that direction. Um, I say go for it. I mean, we need more scoring. Even more scoring. I mean, it's yeah. it's been it's been going up there the scoring, but yeah, I guess I guess what you're saying is like if you just position your skate and just as a way for it to you know ricochet off, you're saying yeah. that's that's fair game. In most cases, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just as long as it's not like you're winding up and doing like a soccer kick, you're you know Lionel Messi or. Exactly. Right. Exactly. The one that happens the most, and I'm glad it's not allowed, is when the player is going harder than that, and it's a rebound, and he's putting the brakes on, and the rebound comes off, hits his skates as he's driving towards the goal line, and it goes off his skating in. Like, Mm -hmm. there's no, there's no kicking motion there. That's just like you're you're not intending to 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 do that. You're exactly trying to stop, but the puck just hit your skate. Okay, I could see, I could see that. Yeah, that that kind of makes sense to me. Um, and then also like these, there's, a, there's been a lot of like huge hits in the playoffs, at least in the first couple of rounds, uh, namely Truba, Jacob Truba from the Rangers. I, I know I have to talk about him because the, on the Rangers podcast, but like, yep. Interested to hear your take on how he is as a player. Some view him as a dirty player. Some view his hits as bad for the game. What do you think of all that? Well, if I was on the other end of his hits, I'd probably agree with everything you just you just said. But uh, as a fan, like, I'm truly a fan of the game now. But I think I think the um, answer to your question lies in the amount of penalties he's received for those hits. I don't think he's been penalized for any of them. Has he? No, I don't think so. No. Like he hit in the game against the Flames early this year. Those are two huge hits on uh, Dubé and uh, Kadri. And Kadri, yeah. Yeah, and I think, actually, I think the other team ended up getting penalties out of that because they went for the instigator. They went to fight. and jumped him, yeah. They jumped him. You know him. what? Um, he keeps his arms down. He doesn't elevate. He just basically, I mean, some of them, some of them you have to ask yourself, what's the guy with the, what's the, guy with the puck doing? He knows Truba's on the ice, and he's coming through the middle with his head down. I mean, it's hitting. It's, That's fair game, now, right? Yeah. Do I want to see a – like, you take the, the one in the Jersey series where it was uh, Timo Meyer, I think, got hit, was it not? Yeah, it was Meyer. Now, I hate to see a player get hurt. I really do. I felt terrible seeing Meyer down on the ice, and I think he broke his nose and, you know, broken jaw, uh, broken nose, and maybe – he had no concussion, which was very fortunate. Mm-hmm. But I hate seeing that. I feel bad for players. I know their long-term health. I hate seeing it, but what's the answer? Truba does everything legal on all those hits. He he approaches the player. He comes down through the core. He doesn't pick the head. I remember when we started talking about um, illegal check to the head, which is only relatively new. It's what, last 15 years, maybe 10 years? 
because when Scott Stevens was doing it, those hits were legal. And then we changed the culture a bit. But I remember there was a um, defenseman I talked to, and he was a really good defenseman. Um, and he told us that late in the game, you're out there, you're playing 30 minutes, and a guy is by the boards, and he's spinning, and he's coached over, and his head's exposed. I've been beating guys all game long. I'm exhausted. My body hurts. It's much easier to pick the guy's head than to take the body. And the guy usually goes down. So it was within the rules. So that's what they would do. Truba never picks the head. Truba comes right through center core. Is there head contact? Yes. But he's not picking the head. There's no way you can avoid all head contact if you're a bigger man and you're making the hit through the center core. It just becomes a, it's, it's collateral damage. Um, that might sound cold because I don't want to see players get hit in the head. But I'm not sure what the answer is. If you want to say put all the onus on the guy making the hit, well, then you're going to see a lot less hitting. It won't be the game that we know. And, it, you know, be less injuries, I guess. But mm -hmm. that's not for me to decide. It's uh, the players and the owners and the GMs. I mean, they're the ones that are involved in it, and they can make their own decisions. But I love Truba's hits. I think um, if I was on his team, I would play a little taller, a little braver, because I got him on my side. And uh, a big hit like that can turn the tide to really change the momentum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I see the game start to start to go more towards a skill uh, based side of it. Right. And in, in today's world, uh, when I first started watching in 2010, it was still it still had that physicality. It was very, very much based on that. Like you needed mm -hmm. to have your fourth line grinders. You needed to have your third line players that could you know, win board battles and stuff like that. And every now and then you'd see a huge fight or a big hit, but you know you can't get rid of the the entire hit it, like hitting out of the game. Like you can't just remove all all head contact right. hits, right? It's part of the and game. If, if you try to do it, I mean, where do you draw the line? It becomes a slippery slope. And uh, you know, Troop is a skilled player, skilled player, and I I he was on the ice when I was on the ice. You know, in the end of my career and. Respectful guy, a good guy. Um, I got a lot of time. I got a lot of time for Truba. Yeah. I mean, the, if you go back and look at all of his hits, I think maybe the one questionable one that sticks out was the, the one on Crosby. Because I, when, when you brought up, you know, he keeps his elbow close to his body, that was the one where his elbow came up. And it did, but if I'm not mistaken, Crosby was very low, was he not? Yeah, yeah. I think his head was down too. He was coming, coming in he, towards the slot. He was and... coming in. He might even been going down, like on one knee or something. He was going down, and uh, you know, it was. It certainly wasn't a flying elbow. It was just more out, yeah. forearm, whatever. Um, yeah, that was highly contested, but um, the referees didn't make a call on that. I think I, I think I was actually working that game, and. Uh, I didn't, I didn't have a problem with them not making a call there. Mm -hmm. um, and it's tough to say because I have all the respect in the world for Sidney Crosby, a world-class athlete, gentleman, um, such a good dude. Uh, so it was, it was tough for me to see a guy I like making hits and a guy get hit who I like as well. So it was, it was tough to see. See, like it's hard for you. It's really difficult. It's hard. Like, you know, the, the typical sports fan is like, oh, what's this ref doing, right? Like they have no, they have no base in in this. They have no stake in this. They just have their own 
team to watch. Yeah. Or if you're just a fan of the game, it's just you're just watching it and you're just picking on the well, referees. Like you have you know people from both sides. It's like, damn, I have to pick or like I have well, to yeah. go one way or the other. And it's not even picking. It's about honestly, a lot of times it's just uh selfishness, self-preservation when you make these calls. You want to be right. You're not you don't care what team it is, you don't care what player it is, you want to be right so that you get a good uh, performance evaluation so that you move on. So um, I'm not sure if you realize how players, I mean, I can touch on it now, how you make the playoffs and how you move on. But mm -hmm. like the whole regular season is basically an addition for the playoffs. And your body of work through that season either gets you playoffs or gets you an early summer vacation. And there's 36 referees, 36 linesmen, only 20 referees and 20 linesmen get playoffs. So just over half the staff goes home when the season ends. So you, you've got to be consistently good. And one terrible call during the season or one great call during the season won't get you playoffs. It's how many great calls did you make? How many terrible calls did you make? And that's what get you playoffs. So you go in that first round. Let's talk referees. There's 20 referees. You go in that first round. After the first round ends, they cut down to eight referees. Uh, sorry, uh, 12 referees. So eight guys are gone. Almost half are gone. And if you start letting stuff get in your head, like, oh, uh, I like this guy or I like this team or I want this, you can't, you can't even begin to contemplate that stuff. You react with your gut and you go, I want to be right. I want to leave this game knowing I nailed it. Have my boss come down shake my hand and go, you were great tonight. That's all you want. That's all you care about. So when fans say, oh, this team wants, this referee wants that player to, you know, win or that team to win, it couldn't be further from the truth. These guys have so much integrity and so much uh, competitive spirit that they want to work. They want to work the Stanley Cup final the same way the players want to play in the Stanley Cup final. Mm. And the only way they get there is by being better than the other referees and missing fewer calls and making the right calls. Mm. So that's the way they get there. It goes down to eight referees for the third round and only five referees for the finals. So you're going from 36 referees regular season to five guys working now. And that's, you know, feather in their cap for being there. But they're the guys who went with their gut and just made the calls based on what they see. And that's all you want. You don't want guys guessing. You don't want guys worrying in their head about, you know, how many penalties have I called? Uh, should I call another one? No. You want a guy going out there and just working with his gut calling what he sees. If it's a penalty, call it. And it drives me nuts too when I hear fans say, oh, they tell the referees don't call any penalties or don't do this and that. I've been part of so many playoff meetings. We get a conference call. We get Stephen Walkham, who's the director of officiating. We get Colin Campbell in charge of hockey ops. And then Gary Bettman's usually on the phone as well. All three of those guys tell us, guys, we spent a lot of money this season sending you videos. We give you training camp. You guys know what a penalty is. You know where the line is. And if they step over that line and you call a penalty, whether it's late in the game, if it's a close game, we will support you. If it's a penalty, we want you to call it. And that I can't make it any simpler. So this whole conspiracy theory that the league doesn't want them to call penalties couldn't be further than the truth. They know that if they call a penalty, now, don't call phantom penalties, don't call cheap penalties. But if it crosses the line of what the NHL standard is, they want you to call it, and they are prepared to support you when you call that. Whether it's third overtime, doesn't matter. I see. I see. Uh, and your thoughts overall on this year's officiating in the playoffs as a whole? 
as a whole, I think it's been good. It's been okay. good. There's 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 one or two calls anybody can point to in any game, and it's more magnified in the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure. I mean, I think you ask any referee, he wouldn't be he wouldn't be being honest if he didn't say there's probably one call every game we would want back. But I don't think officiating has really been even close to being the issue of why it's two nothing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and it, I think Vegas has just simply been the better team in in the finals for sure uh, so far. Yeah. I and I, in the earlier rounds, like with the officiating, I saw a lot of people. You know how it is, like on social media, people always voice their opinions. Like that's how it yep. is. You could go a million different directions. Like some could be in favor of it, and then you could have a whole bunch of people say this is disgusting, this is terrible, blah blah blah. Like the NHL is rigged. They want this team to win. They want that team to win. They don't want this yep. team to win. Right. Um, I mean, a couple hits. I I think the I think the one that sticks out to me is Cogliano getting hit. Like that one was uh that one was um that was tough to see because you know what happened to him with his neck and stuff. Yeah. Uh, like uh, and then the I, who was it? Was it Bunting on the Maple Leafs? Something. Um, the the Leafs and the Panthers, I think. Uh, man, someone got knocked out. Uh, got a, Matthew Nyes. That's who it was. Oh, that was uh, for the first round, the first game, was it not? What? Yeah, I think I it might have. I can't remember if it was the first or the second round, but yeah, it was um, the first round. It was game one. Um, Bunting hit him with a an elbow right beside the net, and he lost him for oh, the series. Yeah, Bunting. Yeah, Bunting got suspended, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. yeah he Bunting got, got suspended, suspension. and then I think in the second round, Matthew Nyes got hit really hard, and he got a concussion, and he was out for the series. I remember that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, they did a great job calling the one where he got suspended. You go to the Cogliano hit, and I know exactly what the referees were thinking. Um, Cogliano goes down. He appears to be injured. But I will say the hit itself was was reckless and dangerous by um, who made the hit. It was uh, well, it was Cogliano who made the hit, wasn't it? I think he got. I think he he suffered a broken neck. I don't. I'm trying to. He ends up the broken neck. It was the player. Uh, it was Eberly. Eberly. Eberly from Seattle made the hit on Cogliano. Um, reckless and dangerous, but I I didn't see it as a malicious or deliberate attempt to hurt him. He was going to make a hit. Cogliano reversed and then reversed again, and he hit him. Definitely a penalty. Definitely reckless. But the referees got together. Like they didn't miss the call. They had their arm in the air. They called the penalty. Now they get over there, and because it wasn't malicious, they're talking. And then they look and they see Cogliano get up on his own and leave on his own steam. And so they're talking to themselves. They go, well, doesn't appear to be an injury in this in this mm-hmm. particular hit. So we're not even going to look at it because we saw it as we should have seen it. If we call five and look at it, they're probably going to rescind it to two. And I believe that's what happened with the McCarr play as well. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You don't realize a guy is hurt because the player skated off the ice. He ended up missing the whole series because he was in cuss. He got suspended. Um, but as a referee, a lot of times, if you think it's deliberate or malicious, then it doesn't matter if he's injured. You go with a match penalty because that's, in your mind, an attempt to injure. In Cogliano's case, they're saying to themselves, the four of them talked for quite a while. And they're saying to themselves, do we think this was intentional? Do you think it was deliberate 
or he was trying to make the hit as Cogliano reversed. And they said, that's kind of what it is. Now, if there's an injury resulting, we're going to go five, but he doesn't appear to be injured. He was shaken up, but he got up and left the ice. Now, if he, it's unfortunate that that's the way sort of the standard is, because if he'd have probably stayed down in the ice longer and had to be stretchered off the ice, which you'd hate to see a player get injured, and I really hope he makes a full recovery, uh, it probably would have been a five-minute major because it caused an injury. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's just tough. I mean, what if they do call five there, five in game for Eberle, and Cogliano comes back, which he did come back. He played the rest of the game. But imagine Cogliano comes back and scores a hat trick, and Seattle's going, you know, we lost our player for five in game, and their player wasn't even hurt. Right. I see. So it's, it's, you it's have a, to factor that into that decision, like if he was injured. and It's a real fine line. In a perfect world, you'd have a robotic doctor come out and tell you right away, this player's injured. Maybe and in 10 can, years. Uh, maybe in 10 years. But yeah. that's just that's just one of those things. It's just judgment. But yeah, I go back to the referees didn't miss the call. It was just whether it was two or five. And those are those are <sighs> arguments you have with yourself. You just don't know which way to go. Uh, because you're going to be, there's a 50, 50 chance. You're going to be wrong if you go five in game and it's, you know, and it's not, and the player ends up not being hurt. So mm-hmm. just a really, really tough for the referees sometimes to make that determination. Yeah. You guys have put it, they're put in a horrible like situation, like an impossible situation, but that's part of the job. That's what you got to do. Right. Yeah, exactly. Be the ones to, to figure, to figure, sort those out, sort those things out, sort those uh, decisions out. Um, my last question for you before we wrap this up. I mean, uh, you covered a little bit of the Rangers Devil series. We talked about that a little bit. Um, the Rangers ended up losing the series, of course, and they ended up firing or getting or moving on from their head coach, Gerard Gallant. Um, what did you think of that decision, and who do you think would be a good fit to replace him? Well, that's way above my pay grade. Uh, I never speculate on coaches. I don't know enough about what it takes to be a good coach. I know there's a lot of good coaches out there, but I really like Jerry Gallant. I like him a lot. We go back a long way. He played uh, on the wing for Pat LaFontaine back in the uh, early 80s for the Verdun Juniors, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. And I was a linesman then. And I tell you what, Jerry Gallant was one of the toughest junior hockey players I ever had to deal with respectful real good guy but man he just he drove fear in other players that they came anywhere near pat lafontaine and you were going to get beat up by jerry gallant and uh, and i told him about that we were uh, i did the all-star game in tampa in 2018 and he was one of the coaches and uh, we were talking about that uh, just uh, on one of the days off and i said you remember how Remember how tough you were back then? I goes, people were, I mean, other teams were just intimidated by you. He shook his head. He goes, I was like 168 pounds back then, soaking wet with these big shoulder pads on. He goes, I was scared too, but I couldn't, I couldn't show anybody. And man, he was tough. You just look up his penalty minutes from those years. And, uh, you know, Pat LaFontaine was able to play about, and what a great player he was too. Uh, He was fantastic, but he, uh, he knew that he had Jerry Gallant, uh, making room for him out there, and they were great. And Jerry could score too. It was he was a good Jerry was a good hockey player. Mm-hmm. And uh, behind the bench, he was the same way. He was um, he wears emotion on his sleeve. You know what I mean? Uh, you'd see him get really hot, and you know. Yeah, I was gonna say. 
yeah, he'd get really hot, but he was the kind of guy that even when he got really hot, you went over to him and you could tell him, listen, you know, he might not want to talk to you. See, it's get away. But a couple of minutes later, a commercial stoppage, you go back over and say, Jerry, do you want to talk? He'd be, yeah, let's talk, Dave. And we'd have a good conversation. Okay. And he would always sort of leave it like, thank you. I Thanks for coming and talking to me. And uh, one of the most approachable, gentlemanly coaches I've ever dealt with. Uh, I'm not saying that because you asked me, but I've said that often. He's just a, a really good man. Okay, that's interesting. That's good. That's good to know. Like, you know, that's cool to know, too, like how that works out where you know, a ref or a coach is screaming at you from, from the bench and you have to skate away and then come back when he's, when he's cooled off. Like I, they don't show you that when you're watching it from home. Like, you know, well, another you ranger see the coach, guy yelling at the Yeah. Another ranger coach who I always got asked about was Tortorella. Torts. <laughs> and of course. he was one of the most respectful, uh, gentlemanly coaches. I mean, if I could deal with 32 Tortorellas, the job would be a lot easier. Because you know what? He leaves you alone. He doesn't try and work you for the next call. He doesn't try and bait you. He's not disrespectful. He just loses his mind sometimes. <laughs> and and he goes off and starts yelling. And he forgets about it. As fa- he gets it out and he's done. And I've had him I've had him go off on me. And I'll go over to him like next stoppage. I'll go, hey, John, hey, Dave, I'm sorry. It was on call for. Let's just move on. I've forgotten about it. And that's the way he is. And so I had a ton of respect for that man as well. And then we ended up working last year together at ESPN, which is funny. Yeah, no, I um, I remember when he worked uh, the one year. Now he's coaching in, in Philly. Uh, but yeah, Torts is always a treat for for us Rangers yeah. fans too. We have uh, a lot of a lot of interesting memories with him, uh, with the media and stuff. How he how he was. I've heard a lot of great things of of you know how he is as a person, which is which is awesome. Uh, yeah. He'd be awesome person to have on this show. I don't know if he would ever do it, but. Torts is, uh, I love him. I'll always love that guy. Yeah, so do I. Yeah. Um, well, Dave, thanks so much for doing this with me. Really appreciate it. We'll wrap this episode up and uh, we'll put this out on, on Saturday. Right on. Thanks for having me. Hey, Rangers fans. Thank you so much for listening to the Ice Cold Takes podcast this week. Make sure you follow at Ice Cold Takes pod on Twitter to stay up to date with the latest Rangers info. See you all next week. Time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. I know.